It's great to be with you today uh, and wonderful to have my family here and uh, our friends from uh, biblical ministries worldwide. And yes, I, I hear it. I've been in the role for two years. I'm not sure what the board of directors was thinking in 1988 when they uh, selected that. No, no brand edging going on there at all. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's a wonderful history. Our organization goes back to the 1930s, actually, and we were a merger of two um, global mission organizations, one based in Pennsylvania that was focused on uh, Europe and the other was based on the West Coast that was focused on the Pacific Rim. And they found that they had a lot in common and so in the late 80s, they uh, opened up a map and prayed and were looking for a place with a relatively low cost of living, uh, a neutral site and a great airport. And so they ended up in Atlanta. And so uh, it's, it's a joy for us to be here today. And I never thought I'd be living in Georgia. We spent 10 years in London and Eastern Europe. Um, and I'm sorry, 10 years in London, and then 10 years before that in Russia and Eastern Europe. And so 20 years just about overseas. And then about two months before the pandemic, we relocated to Metro Atlanta and after all those years abroad. And so we've, uh, we've just, you know, what a time to come back. What a time to be uh, in mission leadership. And since, since we've been back, we've faced a global pandemic. Uh, we have seen a unbelievable humanitarian and spiritual crisis in Afghanistan. And now uh, we have a war uh, like we've not seen in Europe since the Second World War happening in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. Well, you can look at that two ways. You can look at that as a devastating time to go into despair and question everything, and so many in our world are doing that. Or you can see it as a time to truly put our money where our mouth is and say, God, if we say you are what you are and all the praises that we sing and the words that we preach and the discipleship that we do with one another, is this the time? Is this the moment to say to a world around us, there is hope, there is meaning, and there is a gospel of Jesus Christ that is sufficient for the brokenness of this world? And so I believe this is a great time to be in great commission work. And so people ask me what I do. I get to wake up every day and do the great commission. And what a joy that is. Of course, there's also uh, process and red tape and bureaucracy that has to be dealt with. We have to pay taxes. We have to get visas. We have to get health care for 500 missionaries in 43 countries on all over the world. We're right now in real time today, we're evacuating missionaries from Russia, uh, getting them to Seattle, Washington right now as, as I'm preaching here today. And so there is the, the work of the Great Commission that has to go on continually. And to that end, I wanna direct your attention to a couple of things. If you have any kind of a interest in mission, we've taken all of our mission training content and we've put it into a digital platform. If you've done any online courses and you're familiar with what you, you know, the old Blackboard or now most institutions are using Canvas or Pathrite, um, this, is, this is open access. So all of our training material is available digitally. You don't have to come to a mission agency. You can just access it and you can explore all sorts of mission topics. So everything from evangelism, your place in missions, introduction to culture, 
to uh, teams and partners, risk management, child protection, introduction to missionary finance, presentation labs, uh, family integration, worldview, cultures, and religions, uh, descriptive linguistics, all sorts of things. And it's all online or going online in the near future. So feel free to stop by the table, pick up one of these. If you have even just a, a small interest in missions, there's probably something here that you might enjoy. Um, we also have a booklet that's just come out from my predecessor, Paul Sager. Paul served in the role that I'm in for 25 years and is just an absolute you know, genius missiologist. He's a wonderful man, incredible humble spirit. And he just put together a little book called Focus. It's a one week devotional journey to focus your mission in life. Um, how can I personally be more missional? Just a seven week meditation. Uh, just pick one up. We have a limited number on the table back there. Feel free to grab one and that will hopefully be a blessing to you if you wanna think more about world missions. Finally, uh, we started at Biblical Ministries Worldwide, we started something called Compassion Medical two years ago. And Compassion Medical is a humanitarian branch of our organization. What we do with this is present the gospel and help people with their real-time physical needs. So how that's worked out, um, this last August, I got a call from a gentleman in Kabul, Afghanistan. He called me as Kabul was falling and burning around him. And he said, can you get me out of here? After four days of work and a series of miraculous events, we were able to rescue him and 21 other Afghan Christian people who were being hunted by the Taliban through the streets of Kabul, having to move seven locations in three days. Then over the next three and a half, four months, our team at Compassion Medical was able to see almost 10,000 people in partnership with an organization that was bringing airplanes in but couldn't load the airplanes, didn't know where the people were. We were able to get those people out of Afghanistan, 10,000 of them. It was amazing. So. but it's better than that. <laughs> Here's why I got that phone call. Sarah and I had moved to St. Petersburg, Russia in our very early 20s to go be missionaries. And we were working at an international school. We were working with Russian church planners as well. So and just staying busy, we had no kids. Uh, my wife is a musician. She was studying uh, Tchaikovsky there. We were just having a great time. And then we had a bomb go off in our building because this was the same time that uh, Vladimir Putin was taking over Russia. He had just been in power a short time. And basically what was happening was the KGB um, mafia was going after the military intelligence mafia and the KGB mafia ended up winning the day. But there was a lot of violence, a lot of you know, just horrible things happening in R Moscow and St. Petersburg particularly. And we were living there during that time. Well. Uh, we had a couple people in our building who were on someone's list and they died um, in that bombing on December 26, 2002. Never forget it. It's one of those things you remember. Well, a few months after that, we got a call from a woman in Moscow who is a missionary and she called us about 10 o'clock at night. Now, remember those days 
We were just a short time after 9-11. There was a war heating up in Afghanistan and a war heating up in Iraq. And I had no experience with people from Afghanistan. And I was a little bit disturbed because we were followed, our phones are tapped. Russia, Russia, there's a legitimate paranoia, if that makes sense. You know, there's such a thing as conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy theory when it's really happening. You know, in, in Russia, it's happening. Um, we're being followed. We're getting that sense of fear all the time. And, and just, it, they just kind of throw you off your game a little bit. Got this call. Don't know who this person is, but she has an American accent. She says, look, I got your name from this other person who I didn't know, that person. Um, and we've got two families from Afghanistan that are moving their refugees from the first Taliban. Uh, and we have given them Bibles and they're moving to St. Petersburg, they're with the Red Cross and the United Nations Refugee Group and they're moving cities because they're too full here in Moscow. So they're moving a whole group of them. Would you please meet with them because they're very interested in knowing more about the Christian gospel? Now, <clears throat> standing here in Dunwoody Community Church 20 years later, it would, it would seem that it's a quick, easy yes. Sure, love to. But at 10 o'clock at night in Russia from an unknown person who heard about me from another unknown person and it's Afghanistan and we have no idea what to do and that's not what we're really here for. That's not our mission, if you will. I didn't really wanna say yes, frankly. And she could hear it in my voice and uh, she said, then these words, she said, please. Um, I've called six missionaries in St. Petersburg tonight and they just keep passing me someone else's number. All I'm asking is if you would just meet with them and share your faith. Well, okay, now you have to say yes. <laughs> okay, yes, I'll meet with them. Well, within six months, Two Afghan families had placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and had over the next few months then after that followed in believer's baptism and then began discipleship. One of those families ultimately, um, a, a U.S. senator um, helped bring one of those families after years of corruption in the system the refugee system, which is rife with corruption, by the way, finally got a U.S. senator to intervene and get one of those families to Virginia. The other man had the opportunity to come and he said no. He's a lawyer by training and he got a job with the NATO um, infrastructure and in the justice ministry of Afghanistan in 2010 and moved back to Afghanistan as a church planner with an extraordinary cover story. He basically was a uh, instructor for the FBI of Afghanistan and was able to travel the country, no questions asked. Started four churches across that country. And then we, of course, stayed in touch with him over the years. He's still to this day a dear friend. And so then it was in August of 2021 that I got a message on WhatsApp that said, can you get me out of here? And then, after four days of work and prayer, we got them to the gates of the Kabul airport and had a 
another senator who had intervened and had gotten a message. And we had the Marine, a Marine Lieutenant Colonel who passed a message to the men on the gate, open the gate, when this group of people comes up and gives this word. As they approached the gate to follow those instructions, bullets began to fly. They had to pull back from the gate. And then there was a 45 minute break before they could get back up to the gate safely. And in that 45 minutes, the Marines on duty had a shift change and Marines true to their instructions um, were very rigid about what orders they had gotten and the group before had forgotten to pass the message on. And so now the gates aren't opening. And so after an hour of just kind of hopelessness, we pulled back praying. And then I got a call from a gentleman connected to the British um, intelligence apparatus in London. And he said, look, I've got a number for you. He said, pass this number to the Senator's office. I said, look, I I hung up and I I said to him, I said, look, I've been working for four days with no sleep and asking politicians for help. If this guy really is a number that can help, I'm gonna call it myself. (laughs) It was a Connecticut cell phone number. I called it out of airplane engines in the background. And the guy says, sir, hold on for a moment while I step away from these engines. Yes, sir, how can I help you? I said, well, this is Andrew Bennell calling from Biblical Ministries Worldwide. I said, look, we've been talking to the State Department, Senator so-and-so and so-and-so in London, England, and we've been given your number because evidently you're someone who can help. We've got this group of 22 Afghan Christians connected to this British guy, and I named a name. Oh, yeah, the 22 Afghans with the Brits. All right. So he knew who they were. Amazing. Just calling into the dark, you know, 10 o'clock at night standing in my bedroom in Watkinsville, Georgia. He said, yeah, we'll get them out. He said, my boys are getting to two hours of sleep, then we're going back out. Okay. What do you need to get them out? I need three cell phone numbers in case two of them die, he says. And then I need a location. I know, right? I need a location. He said, and then get them off the street. Tell them to go drink some tea. We don't want them on the street. It's crazy out there. And he said a few other words that aren't polite in church. (laughs) All right. I said, but I'm thinking, this guy is obviously, you know, U.S. Special Forces. Uh, He wants their location. How do I get your location? And then he kind of gets mad at me. He says, sir, have you heard of Google Maps? (laughs) (laughs) It's a true story. I said, yes, I have. He says, Well then, sir, drop a pin, sir. (laughs) So, all right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we're literally in the middle of real time using a cell phone, WhatsApp and Google Maps. 12 hours later, um, I get a message in worship in the middle of our Sunday morning service. I stepped out, hear this message, hear a recording. I once again hear airplane engines, but this time it's our Afghan brother. And he says, you know, in heavily accented, we are safe, we are safe. And then a few hours after that, their plane touched down in the Persian Gulf safely. 
but it all goes back. Amen. But look, it all goes back to something that I couldn't plan and you couldn't plan sitting in an apartment on a very frigid night, probably 10, 15 below zero in St. Petersburg, Russia, getting a call from somebody who says, would you just please share your faith with them? And six other missionaries that night passed up an opportunity to be involved in a story that God was writing. But here's the thing. I firmly believe God is gonna write his story with or without us. That story was gonna be written. God was going to do what God was going to do. But missions is simply the opportunity to get into the stream and the flow of what God is doing in the nations. And I'll be very honest with you. There are times I wonder when I missed it. Oh, I got it that day. But how many times have I missed it? I didn't get in the flow. I missed something that God was doing because of fear, selfishness, pride, sin, whatever. But God in his goodness and his love to us allows us to be involved in the work he's doing. That's all missions is. So look with me, if you would, to John 13. You've not heard me preach before, and when I preach on missions, which I do frequently, I have been a pastor for many years and uh, as well and worked through books of the Bible. But uh, one of the things about my missions preaching is I tend to give long introductions and shorter messages. So please don't judge the length of the sermon by the length of the introduction. <laughs> now, I do understand that you're journeying through John and John is without a doubt my favorite book of the Bible. And so I, I love the love of God that is just flowing all through uh, John's gospel and John's letters as well. I wanna direct your attention to John 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In this context, here's what's happening. Just before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knows his hour has come. It's time for the purpose by which he came, for which he came into this world to be fulfilled. Namely, he's going to the cross shortly. This is the end. And we see in this chapter, we see the theme of Judas Iscariot. He shows up, Jesus knowing he's going to be betrayed. There's a lot happening in John 13 and we could preach many messages on it. But I wanna pull something very critical from this passage because also this is where Jesus kneels down and washes his disciples' feet. And it is absolutely a representation of the upside down. The king of kings, the glory of all glories, the ancient of days, the creator of heaven and earth, 
kneels down to these humble men who, like many humble men, struggle when they find religious identity, they struggle with pride and legalistic tendencies and a pecking order. And he kneels down and subverts all of that. And he kneels down before them and washes the grime from their feet. And it's incredibly symbolic because he's doing the task that a servant is supposed to do. And he's doing it in a way, and I want, I want you to think about this. He's doing it in a way to show them that in my kingdom, everything's different. The rules that you're used to don't apply here anymore. Kneels down, begins to wash their feet, and, and their feet are dirty. There's something very practical about washing feet. Feet need to be washed. Feet get dirty. It's a job that needs to be done. There is nothing glamorous in the work of missions. I have many dear friends in the military and a lot of lot of military background in my family. And I've, I've heard this once, I've heard it a thousand times. The nature of being in the military is long periods of boredom punctuated by moments of extreme excitement. <laughs> and there's something like that in missions. So well, I moved overseas, I learned another language, I adapted to another culture. And, and once you've done all that, you know what you have to do? You have to go to the store, you have to cook, you have to play with your kids. You have to answer your email. You have to get your taxes done. You have to worry about your insurance. You have to make sure the bills are paid in two countries. You got a lot to worry about that isn't fun, isn't missional, isn't interesting. And oh, also you're probably connected to a church over there. And of course the people are a little bit different, right? But then once you get past the differences, you find they're just the same. They they get mad if the coffee and the tea isn't put out the way they want it and you have to make sure that gets done right and you have to make sure the floor is clean and ready for church and oh, you know what? They actually argue over music overseas too. <laughs> and, and then you're like, hey, this is just like it was back there. Yeah. And that's when you have to realize all of this so-called sacrifice. I, I moved away, I, I left home and family and I went over there to do something for God and then you find out that it's just like your church back home in Georgia or where I'm from, Texas. It, it's just the same old thing. It's interesting when you get a new convert and they come into church and then five, 10 years down the road, you, start gossiping and backbiting about this person. Or my favorite one is when they come from a really difficult background and find the Lord and their life changes. And then they turn around and start judging the new people who are coming in and say, hey, if we treated you the way you're treating these new people, you would never have come to church in the first place. <laughs> it's remarkable. But this is something what's happening with disciples. 
of Jesus. And he breaks all that to pieces and he says, look, this is the heart of who I am. There is a messenger here. If you look right back at the very beginning of the passage, just before in the end of chapter 12, Jesus says, he cries out, verse 44, John 12, whoever believes in me, believes not in, him, not in me, but in him who what? Sent me. Jesus is sent from the Father, but he also says in John, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so Jesus is the message in and of himself, but he is also the messenger from the Father. And he's saying, look, Look at me and live because in me you see the fullness of the Godhead embodied in front of you. And then what is the message lived out? Who is this one? And what is the thing that he's saying? John 13, verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. What's happened? He had washed their feet the very verse before, put on his outer garments, resumed his place. I love that, that phrase. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, and now back to our original text, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is saying, look, this action, this kneeling down, this taking the dirt, the grime, the routine, the ordinary, the lack of station, the dropping of oneself down before, this is the very heart of the message of Jesus to the world. It's the heart of missions. And it is the hardest thing for religious people to do. Because our entire religious trappings in our, in our worst human tendency is to compare ourselves through our own built up righteousness. And even when we know the gospel and we know it's not by works, but it's by faith, we can still fall into rituals of practice. The things that we do, how much we know the Bible, how much we show up, how much we volunteer. And it is inevitable that we can start to find internal or external pecking orders. I say, look, well, this is who I am. This is what I'm worth. This is what I deserve. And we may not even really want to admit that that's what we're saying. But so often that becomes the barrier to missions happening because that's really what we're believing and telling ourselves way, way down inside. And Jesus looks at these men who have walked with him and lived with him, but are falling into that same trap. And he says, look, at the end of John 13, verse 34, 
Uh, we'll read verse 33, I, because I love it whenever John says, quotes this, little children. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. What? A new commandment. This is something new, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He calls that a new commandment, that we ought to love one another. A new commandment, a new word. And then he says, one of the most missional things in the entire Bible, by this all, and we'll say that again, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We cannot have effective missions unless we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, first love one another because they won't know the truth of the gospel if we can't get down and serve one another the way our master showed us we should serve. The menial, the ordinary, the mundane, the dirty, the unglamorous, the assistance, not, not because we get lifted up, but just because it's his kingdom it's his glory. It's a reflection of his identity. Everyone's talking about identity right now in this world because they're seeking something tangible. Well, the identity that changes everything is this identity of Christ in us, the hope of glory, service, his light shining through us. That's the secret to missions. And it's no accident that just a few verses later, he continues, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And John 14, six, what is it? I am the way Jesus said, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And that verse gets pulled out again and again. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way to go. Absolutely, and that's true. But how did he say we would know that? How would the lost world know? Well, because we love one another. Let me tell you what that looks like. Talking about Russia right now, and yeah, we've helping Ukrainian pastors and leaders there right now. We're trying to help them with all the relief they need, but they're also asking for spiritual assistance. People are asking for Bibles and material, and it's, it's both a humanitarian and a spiritual crisis. But I'm gonna take us back to Russia one more time. We helped a Russian uh, church and some church leaders plant a church just north of St. Petersburg, and it was in a village that where the city was pushing, that's kind of where the suburbs were growing out that way. But this was just outside of that growth belt, but it was coming that direction. So we wanted to get a church going there before the growth got there. So we pushed out to that village and it was very rustic, very, uh, very 
difficult environment, very poor. And um, the church was able to pay for its basic costs and needs by about $40 a week, if that puts it in context. And uh, we were reaching some very challenged people who had a lot of personal life issues, a lot of substance abuse, a lot of really awful things going on in that village. And um, there was a particular woman that um, started coming to church. So we'd have church and then after church, we would have a meal. Um, We'd do like summer sausage, cheese and bread and tea. It was pretty classic thing to do after church. So just a meal for the people who came. This woman started coming because uh, she needed food. She wanted food. Uh, So she'd come at the end and just eat food. And um, just be very, very frank with you. uh, She she had a lot of concerns, a lot of problems. And it was one of those things where she would come in, she'd just take our food and then just kind of leave. And uh, had, you could tell she'd been there. She probably hadn't had a bath in a while. You could smell that she'd been there. And, uh, and it wasn't nice. And you, you, know, you start telling yourself, well, what about the other people in the church? Is she gonna stop others from coming? And it's a tough conversation. But finally, I got to the point where I said, look, you, this, this food, and this is correct. This food isn't just, we're, not, you, we're expecting you to come be a part of the service. You should come be here and we'll give you food, but you need to stay. Well, her response is she'd come about 10 minutes before the end of the service and then she'd stay for the food. All right, okay, I I get what's happening. Well, we tried to work with her after about a year, I don't know, maybe not quite that long, maybe nine months. Finally was at to the point, I thought, you know, this just isn't going anywhere. And Sarah tried to tell me not to do this, but I, my, you know, I'm kind of young and zealous. Like, I think we need to ask her not to come back. She's just not going anywhere, not helping. And um, so, Sarah talked to me and she said, look, I, let me try something. <laughs> I said, well, try anything. It was something I hadn't tried or hadn't thought about. And uh, next week, um, Sarah went to that woman and gave her a necklace, put it around her neck and then gave her a big hug in front of all of our church. I don't know when the last time anybody had ever done that was for that woman. And I saw, I mean, I was shamed. <laughs> a couple of other people in the church were shamed and I saw the first hint of emotion in that woman's eyes that I'd ever seen. She just called, stone cold, but I saw just a glisten of something in her eyes. Next week, she was back before church started. And it was within two months that she put her faith and trust in Jesus. And then a few months after that, after the ice melted, we baptized her in the river. (laughs) It was Russia. Okay, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to love one another, to love the world around us, to love brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not easy, it's not glamorous, and half the time it doesn't go anywhere. But as I told you to start this off, you never know what a phone call in the night's gonna bring. And you better say yes to Jesus. Just like you said yes to him for salvation, 
say yes to him for the great commission to love one another and to love the world around us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for a chance to speak this morning and to present your love to a world that's in such desperate need of it. Who is my neighbor? Who is the one I should love? May we follow the example of Christ that he so powerfully set before the disciples and may the world know because of what they see reflected in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.